going to recap the, the sermon from this last weekend. Awesome text, awesome sermon, talking about the core elements of the gospel. What a privilege, what a joy, talk about the gospel and reconciliation to God. Christ made that available to us when he died, the veil was torn, we now have access to God. So in Luke chapter 23, in verse 44, let's read the text. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour when the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Here you have in the Gospel of Luke, the final moments of Christ, uh, his earthly life. He dies and darkness covers the land. The veil is torn. Some major symbols and metaphors going on in this text that Pastor Mike unpacked for us. The first one was that darkness theme. The point was to understand the payment. Understand the payment that Christ made. And uh, when Christ died on the cross, standing in our place, innocent, uh, suffering, um, the, the death of a guilty person, he made the necessary payment on our behalf. And the word that we uncovered was propitiation. Jesus, his blood covering our guilt and basically um, taking, uh, having the power and ability to take us from the kingdom of darkness, which is symbolized here in the darkness covering the earth, and transferring us to the kingdom of light. A significant payment was made as Jesus stands in all of our place and uh, dies the death that we deserve to die. die. The second point from there was to, to then value what that purchased for us. Value what the cross purchased. And what the cross purchased for us is reconciliation to God. We were enemies, we were rebels, and the cross um, made it possible for us to be uh, brought back into a right relationship with a holy God. The veil was torn, representing access to God. And then third, rightly respond to the gift. This whole act was a gift from God, and the right response is to turn and trust in Christ. It's not enough to know that a gift exists. It's not enough to see a gift and appreciate a gift as you look at it, but really the, the exhortation at the end of this sermon was don't just know the information about the gospel, don't just see and appreciate the gift, but actually go and um, with the activity, the active response of repentance and faith, go and uh, open that gift, rightly respond. And as I said, it's, it is the core elements of the gospel message here in this sermon and in this text. And we get to talk about that tonight in the various questions that we have. And I just want to challenge you um, 
Don't assume that you're okay. Don't assume that everything's fine. Here's an opportunity to work through some questions and talk with a group and really think through, um, do you, ha, have I really understood the payment? Have I, have I really uh, come to grips with the tremendous value of the death of Christ? Have I really responded to the message or do I just know the information about it? Um, take some time tonight to consider where you stand with God. Um, consider your story, your testimony. Um, what is your relationship with God like? We know that you can have a right relationship with God. It's been purchased for you. But that doesn't make you saved. That doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, and so I want to challenge you tonight. If you have not, I want to challenge you to respond to the gospel message. And when that happens, uh, you are brought into the family of God. You're brought into a right relationship with God. And that sort of vertical peace that is represented in, in point number two, and I guess the whole thing, also brings you into a community where you have horizontal peace with other people. And so that's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking tonight because there's some marriage implications in that concept right there. Uh, so really honing in on point number two. Uh, oh, wait, don't... Yeah, I'm going to... At the end, uh, I'm going to ask a question, and you can discuss those things in groups. But... Um, yeah, put that up on the screen. Go ahead, do it, do it. Let's get crazy. Uh, the marriage implication is if you have peace with God, you're not free to have discord with your spouse, okay? And as I mentioned, when God reconciles people to himself, he brings them into peace with other believers, into a family. And um, you don't just cease to be an enemy of God, you become a friend of God, and you now have other friends on a horizontal sort of level. And what I want to say just from a marriage standpoint is um, your spouse ought to be at the top of the list of people that you are at peace with, people that you are reconciled with. And conflict in marriage is a, a daily challenge, right? A, a daily hurdle for us. Uh, so Peace in our marriage is something that is constantly threatened. And we ought to take some time to think through uh, what it looks like for us to pursue peace and just to, to fight hard in our marriages to have good, healthy peace with our spouse. And um, there's a lot of conflict there and there's a lot of poor conflict resolution and we know that that just leads to more conflict and um, more challenges. And so, because we have reconciliation with God, there's a theological um, reason for us to have reconciliation with other people, especially our spouse. And so, a couple texts. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5. I got it up on the screen if, if you don't have a text there in front of you. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of 
fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, he will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So here Jesus is talking, if your brother has something against you, man, leave your gift at the altar. Um, before you give something to God, before you drop a check in the offering basket as it's passing, before you sing another worship song, before you do some uh, good act um, of righteousness, pause, put the brakes on it, and go and be reconciled to your brother. And uh, certainly a, a Christian spouse would, would fit into that category here. We're talking about uh, someone that we ought to pursue reconciliation with. And what this says is, if there's something that they have against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and seek reconciliation with them. So, you know, it could be the case that you've done something to offend your spouse, to hurt your spouse, to frustrate your spouse or annoy your spouse. I don't know what, it, what degree uh, it could have been. But the principle here is to go to them initiate the communication and be quick to confess your sin. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And um, maybe they did something wrong as well. And this text doesn't give you the green light to sit and wait for them to initiate a response. You go and seek reconciliation. So that's one uh, way we can pursue it. Initiate the conversation. Be quick to confess. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to show you another text. I'll have it on the screen as well. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all or be at peace with all. And I love this text for a number of reasons, but what it does is it puts the responsibility squarely on your shoulders to be reconciled or to, to, to be at peace with someone, your spouse included. As far as it depends on you, do everything in your power, everything that you can do to be at peace with people. And the text, it's interesting, it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If you're, if you're a Christian couple, it's, it is possible um, maybe it's not possible right now because um, uh, reconciliation needs to happen. But I would love for you to see this text and see your responsibility in any conflict is for you to do everything you can to be at peace with your spouse. One more text is Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. It says... This, it's on the screen. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The tech, uh, Verse 12, before that, I, I should have started there. It says, put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then it gets into the bearing with one another, with one another 
and forgiving each other. And so the third thing I just want to bring up here is to be really quick to forgive. The first one I brought up was be quick to confess when you've done something wrong. Initiate the conversation, confess it. The second was just turn, turn the focus on yourself and think through what have I done here? What can I do within my power to fix the situation? What have I done to contribute to the problem? And then three, if you've offended me, my spouse, I'm, I'm just going to be really quick to, to forgive. Um, so that's a couple principles for um, pursuing reconciliation in your marriage. There's more, and I'd like for you to discuss them tonight because the, this is a, a significant implication of being reconciled to God. So um, I'll put the question up on the screen for you. I would love for you to, at some point, if you can, uh, talk about this. Based on the Romans 12 text, what's your responsibility when a conflict arises? It doesn't say if, but when a conflict arises with your spouse. And what are some Christ-like ways to seek reconciliation? And then what makes that hard? So yeah, you can snap a picture of that. Uh, go and talk about that. Before you do, let me close this out with a word of prayer. God, we're thankful that we have the Bible to point us in the right direction. We, we believe, God, that the Bible contains your words for um, life the way you designed it to be lived. We know that some of these things that we've talked about here are just counter-cultural or counter-intuitive to our, our natural instincts. And so we're thankful that the Bible can serve as a compass in this way and pointing us in the right direction and the way you want us to live. God, I pray that we would be people who don't just know about uh, the way we're supposed to live, but that understanding really does drive us to respond and to, to live accordingly. So God, help us tonight as we think through um, what it means to be reconciled with you, what a uh, eternally significant thing that you've done in sending Christ to live and to die in our place. And God, as, as forgiven and reconciled people, we should be the most forgiving people on the planet. And we ought to be really quick to reconcile. So please help us in that way. We want to commit it all to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.